I just uh, purchased some internet. The internet is coming to my house. I am so happy for you. So what's the deal? You have this internet that is free with your apartment and yeah. is intermittently just decides to stop working. Well, and yeah. now you can get like a third party. Yeah, it cuts out for seconds at a time, which mm-hmm. for most things is fine. They'll just like connect back. But especially for like tabletop simulator or being on a voice call or something, it can just interrupt it or throw me into some weird like halfway zone where I can hear, but I can't. They, people can't hear me, but luckily but I'm now, a minute in the future, but they're not. It's really right. weird. It yeah. sounds a lot like um, sleep paralysis, but like internet. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I, I, I thought that I was being abducted by aliens, but it turns out that it was just uh, some bad internet. So that's why when you reconnect, you're always screaming, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. They're yeah. back again. The big one with the eyes, I always say. <laughs> Well, disconnecting from Tabletop Simulator can be a real ordeal because connecting to it is a real ordeal. (laughs) Yeah, and then all of a sudden you can't see people's hands. There's that glitch. I don't know if you guys have experienced this where you can't – all the card faces look like the card back. Mm -hmm. You have to, like, stack cards on top of each other. And then sometimes people's private cards, you can see them in their hand. This does oh, sound yeah. like a dream now, actually. this Maybe this is sleep paralysis. Maybe oh, no. Maybe this back. whole internet connection. Big Eyes is back! <laughs> and you're sw- switching apartments, Kyle, right? I am, yeah. I'm moving in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, I've, there's just like a lot of great things happening right now uh, in the world, especially in my world. Um, by the time this episode is released, I'll have an album out on Bandcamp, a brand new EP called Family Piano. So go check that out. Yeah, there's going to be a link in the description of this podcast for sure. It is so lovely. It is so lovely. Family Piano. Very excited. Saw saw a little promo on Instagram. That's right. How long have you been working on this one? I started writing this one last July, recorded it in mid-September, and then uh, just have been doing like some production stuff and slash procrastinating until now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, the other thing that's going on, which is Root-related is uh, there's a 1v1 root tournament that's kicking off. Uh, So hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit more about that next week after the first round has uh, been played. What do we know so far? Who's organizing it? Yeah, uh, there's a uh, listener and a Woodland Warriors contributor uh, named Fancy Zling who has organized this 1v1 tournament. Um, and it's, you know, it's real early stages, like the Badgers and the, uh, the rats are in the tournament, even though we don't have final production things here. So it's kind of this fun, kind of like half play test, half competitive tournament and it's one V one. So the bracket's going to be easier to do than, uh, (laughs) than a four, uh, person game bracket. Uh, in fact, my first game of this tournament, I am playing with, um, uh, popular, a good time society contributor just 10 right <laughs> oh, yeah. after this recording now really by, yeah by the time they're hearing this we've we played it over a week you, ago he's but, crushed you yeah i'm sure yeah. Mm-hmm. i i have no idea what to do i've not played a lot of 1v1 roots so i yeah i'm eager I'm to get into that we should talk about it next week and we should definitely after the tournament like he's either gotten rolling or completed we should do like a dive into how the dynamics of 1v1 turned out like man faction lineups alone are like a whole new podcast mm-hmm. i was thinking the exact same thing it is a total a totally different beast than uh kind of like standard four player mm-hmm. route the board is super empty 
there's, you know, you're just playing against one other faction. So, yeah, I feel like it's a lot of it's a lot sharper. The game is a lot sharper. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it'll be really interesting to see what kind of dynamics emerge. There's there's only a few um, VODs of 1v1s that I was able to find online. So mm-hmm. the research pool is very limited. It's hopefully about to expand a lot. The hirelings really make an interesting dynamic because on the one hand, they could really change the balance of, I guess, a portion of the map when, like, I don't know, if only two teams, they're not everywhere, right? I mean, unless it's out of the cats. But, like, the fact that also the way the influence die roll is based on how far behind you are, that also is going to be perplexing because you don't really – there's only one leader at a t- – I mean, there's always only one leader, but, like, <laughs> there's only oh, there's always one person always in last, too, right? Right. It's the same yeah. person. Uh, and, Jake, one of the things that's really going to change this up is Veterans, the card you can buy for three influence that makes you take another turn. What? This is going to be enormous. Wait, did we play with this? Was this new? It's a, only in two-player. Oh, okay. Yeah, Kyle and I did try it where you didn't do it in two player and it's very broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you can instantly win on dominance too. I mean, and... another turn is like a huge thing in a, in, in yeah. general, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, we're not talking about the 1v1 tournament today, <laughs> but we should see. We'll definitely save that for a future episode. I, I love yeah. that idea, Kyle. It's going to be wild. I can't wait. Well, speaking of getting wild, we've got a whole lot of birds to talk about today because we're exploring the Eerie Dynasties, right? That's right. We are talking the Eerie Dynasties, the birds, the former rulers of the forest. Uh, Can we all just give us some appreciation for how fun this faction is to play? (laughs) It's it's so great. It's so stressful, but in a really fun way. Yeah, I feel like last time, Kyle, you had talked about sinking in the swamps and killing horses with the cats this is just a way more fun to play this faction than it is to play the cats right you know what you get to live when you play as the eerie dynasties i don't care what anyone says (laughs) it makes me feel alive when i'm controlling those birdie boys yeah success or failure it's probably your fault that's what's (laughs) nice about the birds Yeah, you are your own undoing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, no matter what level of play you're at, you're always like, I have no one to blame but myself. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, as we've talked about this on this podcast a couple times, really liking them because they were the first faction I got to play. But I also was uh, very perplexed that they were the only ones that could lose points. I would be like, okay, uh, so how do you lose points? And the cat player would be like, I I don't know. I don't think I do. And I was like, oh, what about you, Woodland? Uh, I don't. I don't think I lose points. Like, okay, but vagabond, you surely. No, it's just like what? (laughs) And then you're looking through every card in the game. You're like, surely one of these loses somebody some points. No, no. And then you're like, oh wait, there's all this new expansion material with all these hirelings. Surely one of them will lose somebody some points. No, only the eerie dynasties gets the honor of losing points and roots. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense, right? Because they are a snowballing machine potentially, right? So uh, we have to have a mechanism to balance them out. Otherwise, they might steamroll the woodland. Yeah. Speaking of, let's talk about kind of the background, the theme of these birds. Now, like I said before, they are the former rulers of the forest, cast back into a corner after the Grand Civil War. And yes, the Grand Civil War is the term coined for the Bird Civil War that I found out in the new Root RPG book. 
the remaining families of the Eerie Dynasties banded together as a faction to take back what is theirs. Now, provided that their infighting doesn't cause their own government to collapse. Okay? <laughs> now, this theme is so fitting. All right? We, uh, we, as the birds, we are on a quest to carve out our territory, thinking little of others and hoping to remind the other faction who is best suited to earn the favor of the woodland. And the only thing that is truly stopping us is ourselves. <laughs> Garrick mentioned on Discord that there are two Eerie Dynasty strategies, uh, not turmoiling at all, or turmoiling once. Okay, so if we turmoil <laughs> more than that, we're getting in our own way, and we could end up not being on pace to end up winning this game. Okay? I like the way you phrase that, Sam, because as I recall, as Garrick phrased it, it was like, it's either zero or one, or you lose. <laughs> I think that's the mentality you have to have, but things could happen. Yes, and I, I think Garrick is right in the uh, competitive context with which he exists, right? And also which a lot of us and our community plays in, and I think that's a very true statement. Uh, but maybe in the lower levels that might not be as true. But yeah, I, I also have been kind of blown away by people who can pull off the no turmoil. So to, to know that it is a legit strategy and something you can aim for is awesome and exciting. Yeah, and like all strategies, we'll touch on this, is going to take a little bit of luck it's going to take a little card draw favorability in order for you to pull this off now there's a certain entitlement and cleverness that you feel when you're piloting the eerie dynasties putting your cards carefully into your program in just the right place at just the right time is so satisfying it gives the player a sense of power and responsibility like spider-man Coupled with dread and the inevitable doom that everything you loved will be unraveled and trampled on. Like Spider-Man 3. <laughs> now, this faction is a core part of what Root is. The first time a, player, a new player hears that one of the factions has a government that can just collapse if they don't do things right, their eyes light up with delight and confusion. <laughs> and they seem like they are tricky, and they are. Or after all, they are the only faction that can lose victory points, like we said. But hopefully after this episode, you will have a better understanding of just how the birds tick and why the original rulers of the forest rock so hard. <laughs> nice. Now, we've got a little bit of a theme overview. This is taken right from the Root RPG book. Uh, Kyle, I was wondering, if, with your lovely reading voice, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little backstory on the... Eerie dynasties. Why, of course. The grand civil war of the Eerie dynasties tore the woodland's dominant power to pieces, and most can't even remember how it began. The details are unclear, confusing, and complicated, even to those who had lived through it. Most recall the effects far more readily than they recall the causes. They remember the lack of food, the burned homes, the broken swords. The lost boots. <laughs> Suffice it to say, the exact causes have been lost to the chaos of time. Legend became myth. <laughs> Hold myth on, there's, there's a little added. Became legend. <laughs> and then undoubtedly one faction of the dynasty saw a chance to seize power and struck at another, leading still more factions and families to seize their own opportunities for power by allying with the leaders or by striking against vulnerable foes and on and on and on. Alliances fell apart. 
and were rebuilt in new configurations. Double crosses became triple crosses, became anarchy. The entirety of the woodland was consumed in battle and conflict and confusion as supply and communication lines were cut. Some troops, absent contact with their supporters, carried out old orders unaware of changed situations. In the end, the woodland was devastated. Many clearings were damaged or all but destroyed. Ruins lay scattered across four of the most central clearings. <laughs> Countless denizens had been lost in battle or to its consequences, and whatever force bound the Erie dynasties together as a coherent faction had long since broken. The Erie retreated from their position of control to the opposite corner of the keep, and the woodland was left unmoored. Yes, thank you, Kyle. Yeah, so some things I actually found really interesting about this uh, thematic background. First of all, the ruins in the game, I think we can assume are old eerie roosts, right? Like from the before time. Interesting. I mean, I do think that there's a solid chance of that. I mean, but like a roost is just a bunch of sticks, right? Like that wouldn't leave... Like, too many ruins, would it? <laughs> I don't know exactly what a roost is. If the I'm roosts of old were great citadels of <laughs> nesting power. Right. right. They were made of stone after the big bad wolves of the prehistory. <laughs> <laughs> Blew this all roost them down. is a 14-bedroom, two-bath. Um, <laughs> got a view of the fox clearing. <laughs> um yeah like i i think it was i think they were the the old rulers until they i guess they gains of thrones themselves by just fighting amongst each other until you know there was nothing left right yeah it definitely does seem to have its roots in uh oh. kind of like you know europe of old where mm -hmm. there was sort of these you know duchies and estates and sort of petty nobles who had their pieces of land and then fought against each other and became weak and then were overtaken by a, some enlightened despot or another. And it still it still hangs true today. Now that they've returned, they are still there's infighting, right? Like <laughs> mm -hmm. if if the plan doesn't go according to how you said in the speech at the beginning of the week, well, uh we're voting you out of power. <laughs> All right. Uh here we go. Now let's do a little component overview here. The birds are another army faction, another red faction, if you're using advanced setup, with a reach of seven, which makes them pretty good for reach. Why they're a seven is because they've got 20 warriors, all right? And that is a good number of warriors, all right? And they have roosts, and their roosts are their only building, and their roosts are everything. After all, our unique scoring mechanic, which we'll get into here in a sec, is having roosts. Mm -hmm. Not building them, having them built will score us points. At the end of our turn or at the beginning of our turn? At the end of our turn. Okay. Um, depending on how many roosts we have built, we will get that amount of points. And that's incredibly powerful, right? Like, it's one of the only um, passive scoring mechanisms uh, in the game, like, especially among the base factions, right? right? You just, you build them, and then if they're around, you get that many points. I, I was comparing it to, like, when the cats build a sawmill. They get wood every turn, just passively, from there on out. And that's points for us. We just get passive points as long as we can hold on to our roots. It's fantastic. Yeah. It makes us such a strong faction. It does make me think of, like, the duchy as well. If you sway some of those, like, top-tier uh, lords, 
then if they're swayed during your turn, during the part of your turn when the you know minister actions are happening, then you can passively get some points for having tunnels on the map or whatever. That's true. Um, but it takes a whole lot of effort to set that up, and it feels like the the threshold for setting that up with the, the Eerie Dynasty is incredibly low, right? You just build a roost and then you're pretty much good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how durable are roosts, though? Uh, it depends. It depends on how many warriors we got defending them. We don't have any inherent defensive capabilities. However, roosts are where we recruit, so we can always enforce things. Uh, with, uh, it, you know, We don't have to move them out from anywhere. They can just be recruited where they need to defend, which is handy. Um, but losing a roost can cause us to turmoil on recruit, which is our nightmare scenario. Okay, so that's another reason why we need to keep our roost safe is because that's going to be the main way the table's going to try to turmoil us. It's a nightmare to turmoil on recruit because recruit is the first step of our programmed phase, right? During right. Uh, is it daylight when that occurs? So yeah. like. That means we don't get to do any of the other things on our turn. Our turn is is essentially wasted because turmoil essentially ends your turn. Exactly. Got it. Yeah, you won't take any more actions. You don't get to recruit anymore. You don't get to battle. You don't get to build. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, we have a couple key abilities. The first one is great. It is called Lords of the Forest. Okay. Uh, this means we rule in ties. When we're tied for presence with another faction to, for ruling the clearing, we are considered to rule that clearing. And without this ability, uh, the Eerie Dynasties would be very easy to shut down early game because this allows them to move through these crowded clearings with cats in them or even build in clearings with multiple uh, warriors of another faction. It boosts two columns of the decree. It boosts the ability to move, right? Because movement is all based on rule. And it boosts the ability to build, which is also based on rule. So the, the Eerie Dynasties, they just get a little boost in two columns that can be very tricky when trying to execute the decree. And, yeah. And, and like important columns, like those four of all four columns are important because you got to get them done. <laughs> like as, as we said, if we're trying to aim for zero turmoil or one turmoil, according to Garrick's advice, then like all the columns are important. And like having a little bit of an edge to accomplish them is, is key. Right. So Lord of the Forest is a is a really uh, big part of this. Another way that the game has nerfed the Eerie Dynasties is given them a disdain for trade. Oh, they hate trade. (laughs) They loathe it. Um, And what this does means every item you craft is only worth one point. So if you craft the coins, which is usually three points, it's only one point. It's right. your peasant currency. <laughs> we do not need it. It is worth merely a point in our economy. So, yes, they disdain trade. This means we should never craft with the Eerie, right? Wrong. We'll get into <laughs> crafting in a second. Because the same for trade really only affects 10 cards in the deck. Okay? And, it, and it's just the T, the sword, and the coins, right? And with multiple copies, that makes up 10 cards in the deck. And so, although you don't get maximum points for crafting these things, you are denying the table those points by crafting Mm. them, right? If I craft both the coins, I'm only getting two points, but I've denied the table six points. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's always good to craft if you can. And uh, we'll, we'll get into our whole crafting section in a second. But it's important to know that just because we have a disdain for trade doesn't mean we have a full hatred of trading. We just disdain it. It makes me think that the Eerie is is bad at making things. 
or like if they make coins for instance everyone's like um all right i guess i'll give you one point for those coins they're like that tea is disgusting i don't have fingers i did my best this is literally a wooden nickel and this tea is just bark water (laughs) all right cool so those are our abilities let's talk leaders right yeah, well, that's the best part about the Eerie Dynasty is we do get one extra ability depending on which one of our leaders we have chosen. Let's go over what they are because we are going to reference these a lot. The Despot uh, has their uh, Viziers, which are your two starting bird uh, cards that you get to uh, start the game with or every new leader with. They start in Move and Build for the Despot. And their ability is whenever you remove at least one enemy building or token in battle, you score one extra victory point. Uh, this isn't, of note, this isn't for every piece of cardboard you remove in a battle. It's if you remove cardboard, you score an extra point. So sometimes it's best to try to battle things inefficiently if you can uh, to take out multiple cardboard in multiple battles to get multiple bonuses. Uh, the next one we have is the Charismatic Leader. Their lo- loyal viziers begin in recruit and battle, and whenever they take the recruit action, they place two warriors instead of one. Very helpful for flooding the board with your birdie boys. Commander's <laughs> loyal viziers start and move in battle, and as attacker in battle, they deal an extra hit. Mmm, very powerful. That's huge. One of the best powers in root, I think. And then Builder... Uh, loyal viziers are in recruit and move, and whenever they craft, they ignore their disdain for trade special ability. They don't just make bark water, they make root tea. Wow. They just put salt in it. It's not better. <laughs> it's just worth more money. It's gross. So we'll talk about openings in a little bit here, but just kind of quickly, kind of, you know, looking at these in a sort of broad way, wh- which of the four leaders is just the best? Ah. <sighs> If you if gun to my head, which one is just the best? It's probably Despot, right? Yeah, you think Despot. I think Commander is so key, and I love Commander, but you can't start with Commander. And we'll talk we'll talk about the possibility of starting with Commander. But Despot is both a great the Vizier placement is so good, and move and build build having a wild build and not having to use the bird card from my hand is so key. Mm -hmm. And the ability to score extra points for removing cardboard can be really helpful, especially in games with the Woodland Alliance or the Crows or somebody with a lot of cardboard. Right. I think my counter to that would be, I think Charismatic is probably the strongest leader. Uh, And I think that because the double recruit hits so hard early on in the game. And if things are going really well it can be you can get into a situation where it's literally impossible to stop yeah i find i always have gone for charismatic pretty often in my dynasty games simply because like everything relies on having that rule and the only way to secure it is to have more forces out there right right and it it start you know you can put some pressure on people with that starting bird in battle which is really nice Mm -hmm. Um, I will say the thing with Charismatic is that it's a little tricky and it's really easy to turmoil in like four different ways. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, they wisely it, you, put battle in there. So it's like you're gonna at least risk some every time. Right. So, you know, that's a part of the decree. 
And the starting card in battle is actually one of the things that's most easily exploited mm-hmm. about the charismatic leader in, in a, an opening type of way. Again, we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, I, I think it's interesting that we have different concepts. I, I think the despot is maybe a bit more flexible uh, with the ability to move and build anywhere. Um, you, you know, you've got a lot of options right away, but... Um, yeah, it's it's just it's a different approach to the game, and I think it changes the landscape of the game. No, uh, you know, when somebody chooses their starting leader for the Eerie Dynasties, you the tenor of the game totally changes, or can totally change. I agree. It's similar to a vagabond class, where it's like, oh, that will define exactly what's going to be happening in the in the early game or mid game or whatever it is. I, I've seen uh, situations where someone chooses the charismatic leader, which, again, starts with recruit and battle. And here's the issue with that. You're going to have to supply your own move. That's the move is the is the missing, very key component of that, isn't right. that? Yeah. And if there is no cats on the board, and there's not just, like, pieces next to you, mm-hmm. you can end up in a situation where you don't have a lot to battle for very long, you know? Uh, but w- that... That's all situational uh, leader openings, which we will have a long section on. Right now, let's just talk about, in general, scoring method. Because the scoring method is a little different than the cats. The cats, we said, were very linear in their scoring. They score about the same amount of points each turn. But the birds are a little bit more exponential, a little bit more of a snowball. We accumulate more points each turn. Starting at one or two points, and then the mid-game, we're we're chugging on four points and then we can craft and we can battle. And eventually we're, we're kind of out of control. We're scoring six, seven points a turn in our last couple turns. I think the eerie, it's pretty easy to gauge, you know, how, how uh, out of control they are by looking at their board. You know, if they've got four roosts in play and half of their, uh, you know, warriors on the board, then they're online anything beyond that and they're starting to tip out of control um i guess the only caveat to that is the decree uh because the maybe the most important thing more than losing points from the decree is losing all those cards in the decree all those actions and you know if you totally reset the the decree for the eerie like that that can just be a game over um at, at a late enough point in the game they just don't have enough actions to like meaningfully impact the board state anymore. It's but, such a painfully slow rebuild too. It's like you had eight cards out there and now you're down to three. Oh, you're just crawling <laughs> along. Yeah. So yeah, the the snowball can can be really brutal, but getting checked really hard can also be really hard to recover. High from. highs and low lows of the eerie dynasties. Yeah. Oh, they're wild. I love it. The only lows that can get lower. Uh, yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about points. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about their core mechanic, this decree, right? Now, I think the best thing, what we're trying to strive for, is to find some balance in the decree. Something that's like repeatable, obviously, because we have to repeat it every turn. Something that feels stable and we're not just you know plugging holes every turn because eventually we won't be able to cover all the holes and we won't set ourselves up for a good turmoil which is what we're going to want to do what's can you define a good turmoil yeah so let's talk about it we want to either not turmoil or we want to turmoil but only on (laughs) our terms 
All right. We want to turmoil ourselves. We do not want the table to turmoil. We us. need to submit the resignation letter. We will not be impeached by the bird Senate. Okay. Right. And the best resignation letter you can give is just an extra build that you're not going to use. <laughs> Uh, because then you've gotten to do your whole turn, and then you uh, go into turmoil before the the table could turmoil you on recruit or something nasty where you'd skip a whole turn. And then you can set yourself up uh, for the next time. Real quick, Sam. Just sorry. I want to make sure I'm clear on this. So you're saying to purposely sabotage your build action by putting another one that you can't fulfill, therefore turmoiling yourself on the end of your turn when it's the least disadvantageous to you, right? Right. Okay. I got it. Now, the... Decree here is this kind of quadruple seesaw of priorities, and our goal is to find balance, all right? So, recruit. Let's talk about the recruit action. This is the most dangerous of our actions because, like we've said many times, turmoiling on recruit is the worst of all since you have to skip your whole turn. Now, there are basically two ways you're going to turmoil on recruit, all right? The first is you've put a suited card into recruit and the opponents destroy all of your matching suited roosts right so if you have a rabbit card in recruit and they get rid of all your rabbit roosts you're done you're not going to be able to do anything on your turn okay the second way is you don't have enough warriors to recruit with all right this is the tricky part of the charismatic opening mm -hmm. is making sure you don't uh you have enough birds to recruit the easiest way to avoid people taking out our suited roosts is to not put any suited cards in recruit, right? That's the easiest way to do it. I don't think that this... Some people are a little bit more strict on this than I am. I think if you have multiple roosts of a suit, like if you have three fox roosts, a fox recruit is still good because if they take out one or even two of those roosts, you can still recruit and you won't turn them off. Yeah, the rule of thumb with the suited recruit card for me is that on the turn that you put that suited card into recruit, you either have to be gunning for the second roost or already have the second roost of that suit. It, it becomes like strategically imperative that you do that because you, you can have a big bird ball stuck on one, stuck guarding one roost uh, for the whole game, but that just really, that's also inefficient in its own way, right? right. You know, the, the Eerie is not meant to turtle. Right. Uh, they're meant to kind of like go out and attack and apply pressure to the board and stuff. Um, and yeah, so you got to have just like a minimum guarantee that you won't be turmoiled on recruit by one lucky battle from your opponents. And to do that, you need two of whatever suit you've got in recruit. <laughs> That's the rule of thumb anyway. There's some exceptions in specific situations. But yeah, it, largely you want to cover your bases when it comes yeah. to the suited recruit. I think it's just good to know if you put a suited card in recruit, everyone at the table is going to immediately have a powwow about what that means, <laughs> right? They are going to go, okay, hold on. How, how can we get that? And it, you have to defend those roots pretty good because there will be already, there will be a plan about how to break you. All right. Really? Uh, are people already paying that close attention to you before you've actually started to churn that up? Is that a, is that a real heat sinking? I, I think the birds are so dangerous in their snowball yeah. that people are going, when are we going to get them? Or when will they turmoil? And if it's not going to look like they're going to do it by themselves and run out of room naturally, then the table is going to have to do it. And like we said, recruit is the best uh, punch you can give them. 
My eyes light up as an opponent of the Eerie when they put a suited card in the decree. As mm-hmm. soon as that hits the decree, I'm, I'm, I'm like licking my chops, ready to go <laughs> turn one of them. The only place that might not uh, get your chops licked, Kyle, <laughs> is move. The move action is the safest place to put a card of any suit. And so likely this is where we're going to put a lot of our suited cards. You obviously have to look at the board. You can't totally bone yourself. You know, if you're only in a fox clearing and you're not, and your only move is a rabbit move, I mean, what are you doing? Come on. But I think that most of us can see that moving from a rabbit clearing is, is, is going to be very possible to do every turn. Especially if we already have a bird move, then we just have to be adjacent to a rabbit clearing. And if we're on the autumn map, we are. So We've just done that. The wording on the decree is uh, the move has to be from that clearing or from or to that clearing. From that clearing. Just from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that, that can be a, a, a tricky thing for new players yeah, especially. Yeah, I know that's gotten mixed up in a number of games that I was uh, a part of. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it does make sense, though, too, because if you think about, like, if you put a suited recar- uh, suited card in uh, build, which, why are you doing that? But if you do, then you can imagine uh, if you put that same suit in move that you could move those guys from where they were built and recruited. So it, it, I, I, I do appreciate that it's move from that suited clear. And move, movement, as a rule, is already fairly complex and kind of... Uh, easy to mess up um, when you're sort of imagining how your turn is going to go when deciding what to put into the decree. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a weird kind of trap about the move column, uh, which is that because a lot of extraneous cards go in there, uh, you know, when, when you get an offsuit card, one that you can't really place in any of the other three columns, it just goes into move. And after a while, that column starts to become almost like unwieldy and it that it, the biggest chore for me with the eerie is after you figure out where you're going to build and where you're going to battle it's like how do you arrange the moves to get there can just get so cumbersome to kind of <laughs> figure out especially when there's like a lot of cards in there um but this is when little tricks like move one bird and then move another solo bird uh or split up your moves into two parts can right. really come in handy yeah, you might have to take some inefficient moves here uh, in this column, but that's what this column is for, is to put our cards here. We might need those moves on a future turn if we try like something big and bold, um, but for now, we just want more actions. Uh, if we're playing against the Woodland Alliance, we want to make sure to get those cards out of our hand and into our decree so we're not giving them matching cards. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of great reasons to just put your junk cards in the move. And I want to say, too, that there's a really interesting little threshold with move, right? Because we have 12 clearings on the map, and the Eerie and Classic setup starts in the corner. So for the Autumn map, for instance, um, at most, it, if you're taking a pretty straightforward path, it'll take you four moves to get across the board from bottom right to top left, for example. Um, so once that move columns hits about four, three to four cards, uh, the movement options for the Eerie start to open up pretty dramatically. Uh, and so those clearings that are a little under defended around the map, this is why the snowball, um, becomes really, really hard to stop is because the, the mobility of the Eerie combined with their attacking power, uh, can just totally overwhelm 
uh, a defense that's spread too thin. So actually, keep an eye on that movement column. Once it hits three or four, just realize that the Eerie can pretty much access any clearing on the map they want to. Yeah, and that can be bad because the Eerie are not battle-shy. They are quite the battlers. Uh, (laughs) Unlike the cats who can't afford the action, sometimes the birds have to. How many times have you guys been in a game and the birds player goes, I'm attacking you here, I'm sorry, I just have to. (laughs) Right? I feel like that happens every game. Um, And it's great. I, I, I love I love the fact that they cause that uh, kind of entanglement uh, naturally. So when we're putting when we're thinking about what cards to put into our battle column in our decree, battle is definitely the most situational of the two columns. Uh, an early battle in a game without the cats or the woodland alliance can be almost more of a liability than it can be uh, proactive at all because you. People can vacate from clearings, especially if it's suited. If you put a fox card into battle and everyone can just move out of the fox clearings for one turn just to, you know, screw you, then that that can definitely happen. So you got to be a little careful, which is why an, if you're going to do an early battle, I'd suggest a bird. Let the game play out for a while, stay flexible, and let the threats emerge. Let some clearings build up a, a Woodland Alliance base that you could take a couple swings at. You could put a suited card into the battle that matches that Woodland Alliance base so that you can run up against it a couple times and not worry about running out of ammo there. Or the keep, or just any place with a bunch of moles or something. Something that you know it's going to take multiple battles over multiple turns, and that's fine. Because that's those are the kind of actions we want to take, is like, Chipping away at everybody else little by little in our in our spare time, basically. Yeah, you, t- you totally nailed it there, Sam. Um, the other thing about battle is that it has a nice symmetry with recruits. Um, like you mentioned, one of the ways to turmoil and recruit is to run out of meeples in your, like, <laughs> supply. Uh, which is definitely the funniest way to, like, thematically to turmoil. It's just like, <laughs> we don't have enough guys. Like, you said you were going to bring four. Uh, we, all we have left are children. We can't. <laughs> we need to grow. Um, and so one way to get warriors in the supply is to uh, lose them after, uh, you know, a good healthy battle. Um, and so kind of, especially when you're running a, a charismatic leader, uh, having some battles in order to regenerate your supply of birds is going to be crucial. So kind of keep an eye on that. There's there's some symmetry there. You know, however many you're recruiting, uh, you're going to want to have like, you know, one less card in battle. Um, one or two less cards in battle? I think it's very counterintuitive, uh, the fact that you might have to take inefficient battles, right? I've done this where I've got a great battle decree going, and I hit a bunch of empty cardboard for points, and then I go, oh no, that didn't remove any of my warriors because I was going against undefended cardboard. I should have been going against big warrior stacks for no points because that's going to help me. do my decree next time not getting the most points. what so, a counterintuitive idea though like to not go for the easy points which is what we all need and all we all crave in this game and instead like i need to lose units the eerie is a proud faction mm-hmm. uh and the the their pride is the decree and if you can't fulfill it then you know What's that's, the point? that's the real end of the game end of the road for an eerie game so yeah sometimes you have to leave leave that cardboard alone and go <laughs> attack some cats in the middle of nowhere yeah because our last action here is build 
guys, and this is the lifeblood of the Erie Dynasties. We are running this whole program. We're recruiting guys. We're moving guys. We're fighting other people for space just to build one of these roosts. All right? And this is basically the goal of every turn. And this is the most fragile part of the decree. Recruit is, you can misplay it more, I think, but build is something that can be prevented if, if the table Wants it. has played it smart. Is that why you're saying it's fragile? Is because it's easy to counter? The easiest yes, to counter in terms of like... It's easy to make somebody uh, turmoil on right. build. Um, but like we said, that's the best case scenario for the birds. So if somebody's going to do that to you, that's fine. We can work around that. Uh, but in, in general, this is the big action here. And in the early game, it's going to all, be all about getting these roosts on the board and defend. Now you say it's easy because the you're telegraphing where you're going to build largely by your decree anyway, right? Unless it's unless you've been fortunate to have a stupid amount of bird cards like you they know where you're headed to build generally speaking therefore they can plan ahead yeah yeah for the most part i mean probably 85 percent of the time it's going to be a bird card in build so you're not going to know the exact suit of the clearing but uh, when the board starts to fill up the eerie starts to run out of options and you can tell where they'd like to build so here's my question for you two in these four actions you've recommended that in only in one of those four should I put suited cards. But, I mean, generally speaking, I'm not going to have all these bird cards constantly. I know we start with the two, uh, what are the eight, the advisors called? The viziers? viziers? Viziers, yeah. So they're obviously the bird cards that we get, but, like, my hand is still, you know, it's dealt to me randomly. So so what's the answer? What do I do with the other suited cards besides just throw them and move and hope it works out? Uh, throw them and move, hope it works out, and maybe put it in battle. <laughs> it depends. It, it it depends on your uh, leader, depending on if you already have a battle. Because I wouldn't advise going two battles early on, mm -hmm. even with charismatic. Yeah, that seems a little. Maybe maybe turn two or turn three. Maybe that's fine, but uh, especially turn one, you don't want to be doing two battles. That's crazy. So yeah, Jake. To answer your question, I think mainly stick them in move, and then maybe in battle if you think you can spare it. I think you can get away with putting them in recruit as well. The one that just is super limited and putting you on a timer uh, deliberately is if you put a suited card in build, yeah. right? Because there's only four clearings of each suit. So if you put that rabbit card in build, your opponents also now have, have really limited uh, the number of clearings that they have to worry about, mm -hmm. right? Yes. If you have one rabbit roost and you have a rabbit card in build there's only three clearings left it's very easy to bottleneck the eerie dynasties but again turmoiling on build not the worst thing in the world so i think that suited cards in build early on when the board is you know pretty depopulated yeah. uh can be rather strong um but again it's it's a bit fragile like you mentioned i want to so. repeat our caveat of like all this advice you know ex existing in a vacuum and every game's context is going to change this advice right so like when we say that if you put a suited card in a build, that's what we don't want you to do. But like, if you do it, your game's not over, and you're not guaranteed to turmoil because there's three other players at the game uh, fighting each other too. So you you may have given them the opportunity to slow you down, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be in a place to take it. That's true. I played the your dynasties in the final of the um, Woodland Warriors Winter Tournament, 
and I put a suited card in build and like turn two. So <laughs> there you know, go. It happens. <laughs> Did you, uh, how'd that game go? Uh, I mean, it was good. I I definitely intentionally turmoiled. Right. Uh, and I recovered not as well as I wanted to. I was not able to get enough uh, purchase on the on the board again. Which so I don't know. I think it was it was maybe a little optimistic on my part. Um, but you know, I also had really, really terrific opponents and I was, uh, trying to go for a creative play that was maybe a bit unnecessary. (laughs) Um, if it would have worked, it would have been amazing, but (laughs) it didn't, I didn't end up pulling it off. Hmm, Let me, uh, will you send me a link to your, that match? Is it online? Yes. Yep. There's a VOD. Um, I'll I'll put it in the description and we can see what people think of what could have been. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. I I think that answers my questions about the actions. Uh, moving on to crafting. Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> Although we loathe crafting and all that, we are good at crafting. We are very good at it because unlike the cats, our building that recruits is also the building we can craft with. Uh, it's an all-in-one thing. It's made of sticks and it does all the jobs we need it to. <laughs> uh, however, I don't think that crafting is as much of a thing as the decree for the birds. And I think your focus and attention is going to be consumed with keeping the decree strong and alive. Um, I wouldn't worry as much. There's going to be very few situations, I would say, where you're going to go out of your way to put a roost in a specific clearing to craft a certain card. Okay. Usually, the you're, we don't have much of a hand of cards to begin with because we're putting so many cards in the decree and we can craft most of the cards anyway, and our card draw isn't the best. So as a result, we tend not to have a big hand of cards from turn to turn. And so the idea of setting up for crafting certain cards, I I just wouldn't prioritize it as much. However, we do have some suggestions for cards that definitely work well with the Eerie Dynasties, and maybe if you are in a situation where you can afford, where you're choosing between two clearings of where you're going to build, and this card could tip the scales, we, we've got a great list of cards for that. But in general, I wouldn't prioritize making sure you get this crafted upgrade because that's going to be the thing that, that saves your day. You're a great faction. You don't need the help. Yeah, more often than not, you're using that card for its suit in the decree than for its crafted ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sam, tell us, tell us about the exceptions to that. Like, What, what should we be looking out for as the Eerie Dynasty is to craft? Yeah, in the base deck, uh, my favorite card with the birds is brutal tactics which is basically the commander's ability where you score an extra hit in battle i believe the defender scores a point uh, it with brutal tactics um and armors these are both fox suited cards uh that they of note their top suit is bird so hopefully these cards come into your hand when you've already had a decree established and you don't need to use it for a bird card because uh, Brutal Tactics especially, I feel like, can really break through in the late game to get you to score that extra cardboard you need. Yeah, I think Armorers and Brutal Tactics, in my mind, serve kind of the same end goal, which is that build step in the Decree. Uh, Brutal Tactics you can use to score an extra hit to, you know, if you've gotten through all the Warriors, now you can hit the cardboard. You know, if, if there's three cats in a sawmill... You roll a 3-0. You can use Brutal Tactics to hit that sawmill and then build this turn. Uh, same thing with Armorers. A little different, though, is 
with armors, you can send like one or two birds into a clearing, conduct a battle to try and gain rule, and then totally negate any hits against your birds using armor so that at the end of the day, you're the one who rules that clearing. You can build there. So to, to me, armors and brutal tactics are two absolute essential tools in the Swiss army knife of eerie crafting. Yeah. Uh, brutal tactics might be like the big exception to where I'm like, no, if you can, if you, if it's in your hand and you have cards to spare, find another Fox Ruth. It'll be worth it. Scouting party and command warn. Uh, these are both two mice and two rabbit crafters, respectively, are also kind of battle-oriented. I feel like that that's, we have so many great battle actions, so uh, augmenting them is going to really assert our dominance. Scouting party means we can't be affected by ambushes, which we've all turmoiled because of an ambush at some point. Raise your hand if you've done it. Come on, even if you're driving. <laughs> all right, uh, and uh, Command Warren, which just gives you an extra battle. Which you don't need, but it's optional, so can't hurt. I would say Command Warren is a great thing to craft in a 1v1. Ooh. We'll yeah, talk about yeah. that in our 1v1 episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the two cards in the base deck that I think are almost exclusively made for the Eerie Dynasties are Tax Collector, which uh, allows you to remove one of your warriors from the board to draw a card. And Royal Claim, which is the crazy four-cost card that then allows you to score a point for each clearing you rule on your next bird song. Okay. Royal Claim is just so good for the Eerie Dynasties. As soon as they craft it, I'm like, you're enemy, public enemy number one. <laughs> yeah. uh, their ability, Lords of the Forest, that lets them rule clearings where they're tied for presence, just makes Royal Claim that much better. And that much stronger. I can think of a couple other factions that could craft Royal Claim, but wouldn't gain much benefit from actually using it. The River Folk would not have enough guys. Uh, right. The Woodland the, Alliance? No. They don't rule things, really. If the Moles are crafting Royal Claim, they've already won the game. <laughs> <laughs> the Moles, uh, of no, if they do pull off Royal Claim, the Burrow is a clearing that they rule. So they would get a point for the burrow, uh, though I've never seen it happen. The burrow is a clearing. Oh, really? Yeah, I think technically the burrow is a clearing that only the mole can place pieces in, or something like that. Is the but it has no suit, the... so it doesn't really right. apply. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, and then uh, I I just want to point out tax collector here is where you remove one to draw a card because there was uh, of note there was a game that Kyle and I played on Root Digital, where we thought we were, I think I was playing the cats, and I just figured out that the birds were going to turmoil on Recruit because they had not, they didn't have enough warriors to place, right? So I was like, I got this figured out, and I went for a dominance play, knowing that Kyle, who was the Woodland Alliance of the Vagabond, I can't remember, and the other player were not going to be able to stop me. I'm the cats, and they're the puny factions, and the only big faction would be turmoiling on recruit and not have a turn but then they had crafted uh command warren so they initiated a battle which removed one of their birds and then they crafted tax collector and then used it immediately to remove another one of their birds <laughs> giving them just enough to survive the turn and win and it i i was screaming when it happened i had not seen it happen and it was so crazy 
But of note, Tax Collector is so good because you can just optionally, oh, I need more Warriors for Recruit. Boink, I'll just take one and I get a card. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, and it, the crafting cost is one mouse, one rabbit, one fox, which is kind of hard for cats to pull off or lizards, you can't even do it. But birds are especially suited to craft a card like that. Um, uh, just a, a point of specificity uh, about that is when you use when you activate tax collector, make sure you do it first thing during uh, your daylight as the eerie, because then you still have the window of crafting. To if you know if you pull a card that you can craft, then you can craft it after you draw it. Um, I, too often I see people forget to use their crafted abilities. And with the Era Dynasties, you have this window where it can work, and uh, you just got to take advantage of it. Same thing with um, Swap Meet, which we're going to talk about the E&P deck now. Yeah. Yeah, Swap Meet is handy. It exchanges cards with an opponent. If you don't, you know, you're hoping for a bird card or something, it can just give it some extra little options, and it's one rabbit. So it's usually just a happy accident. Um False Orders and Partisans are other battle cards that uh, are terrific for the Eerie Dynasties. Uh, of note, False Orders, we didn't give a shout out to the cats in our last guide that False Orders really benefits the cats. And Jake asked the question specifically, is there a card that you would go out of your way to put a <laughs> workshop in Fox to craft? And we're like, no. And then everyone who listened to the episode screamed False Orders at us. And they're right. They're Wait, right. Uh, just real quick, going back to that, why are they right? I want to I want to know that answer because I, I, I see why False Orders is a good card for everybody. So why is it particularly good for cats? I think because cats care so much about ruling interconnected clearings and you can just vacate half of a stack of warriors mm -hmm. to another clearing, come in for the easy kill, remove that cardboard, open up some building slots. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, furthermore, uh, it works great for the birds, too, for that same reason. We need to go build somewhere, or it's just a nice way to get, get at the cardboard. Uh, boat builders and corvid planners can be really key as the birds. Of note, they are both bird cards, so this, again, is at a point in our rhythm of the game where we have a couple extra cards that we don't need to throw in the decree. Because corvid planners makes us move regardless of rule. Oh, it's deadly. Deadly oh. as the Eerie to have Corvid Planners crafted. I would say the Eerie and the Woodland Alliance mm -hmm. uh, are two, you know, nightmare scenarios. They have Corvid Planners crafted. Um, the Eerie only because they can, it just becomes impossible to stop them from getting into those sensitive clearings. Usually it's possible to sort of, you know, if you stack some warriors on your periphery, whatever faction you're playing. Uh, you can kind of discourage the Eerie from overcommitting and moving too many warriors. But Corvid Planners, uh, the Eerie just gets scary efficient, and uh, it can be very hard to stop. Uh, also, Tunnels is another movement card that would really help. Uh, this makes all of your clearings with crafting pieces adjacent to each other. Um, this and Corvid Planners, I think, like for the most part, it's going to open up a limited amount of new opportunities, but... All new opportunities are good for the Eerie Dynasties who can get locked in. I feel to... like Tunnels is really good for them because it yeah. makes the decree more possible, right? Like, I never, I almost never get Tunnels, and I don't know if that's a good thing. I probably should try it more. But, like, I feel like we, the thing we've talked about is, like, you know, the table shutting you down because they know your options. But this opens up your options in a much bigger way, right? I think Tunnels is decent. Uh, anything that improves your mobility as the Eerie tends to be a, 
good thing in general. Okay. Tunnels in particular is interesting because you, you teleport around on roosts, on built roosts. So in a way, tunnels is like a little bit slower than Corvid planners to implement, but it can be really devastating, especially with a, a leader where you can recruit a bunch. My idea with tunnels is that you can use it for a specific strategy with the Eerie, which is to take a roost that's really far away from your starting roost and then instantaneously reinforce it on your next turn mm. and kind of pop up all over the place and cause oh, headaches for everyone. <laughs> Doesn't it open up a lot of doors for you if your decree possibilities like movement or I guess it's movement. <laughs> it's if movement is blocked in some way or whatever. It's like you can double back in other places because you've opened that opportunity. Yes. I think I think it would be... I'm realizing it's like, one of the four actions, so it's only a quarter is helpful, right? It, it can be very helpful, though. And, and yeah, tunnels especially can get really crazy. Uh, you can avoid sympathy with uh, using tunnels, which is kind of interesting. You know, um, you can avoid... You know, walking through gardens, you can... Yeah, there's a lot of fun ways to implement tunnels, I think, with with the area. It's a bit underexplored, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I want to explore it more, for sure, because I don't explore it enough. I think one of the things that tunnels really does is... Uh, sometimes with your movement, because you put all your junk cards into movement, that you can end up with a weird distribution of warriors guarding roosts, right? Because I have to move from a rabbit clearing... I only have two guys at my rabbit roost. I didn't think about this. Now I have to move one of them away. Now I've just got one warrior. And what it allows you to do is all of the roosts are adjacent. So any card in move can kind of redistribute that and, and guard right. them really well. That's what I was saying is like, it just feels like your redistribution options just like really open up. Yeah. And then one card to watch out for, and that is coffin makers. <laughs> You should craft Coffin Makers, if you can, almost defensively, <laughs> because then it won't be used against you. The reason why Coffin Makers is so bad for someone else to have, on part, uh, apart from it being a great way for them to score points, is that it takes some of your warriors and puts them in a little purgatory for a little bit, right? So if on their turn they come and they attack your warriors, and then your warriors get put in a coffin... And then when you go to recruit, you have less warriors in your supply to do that until the beginning of their next turn. So you can get caught out in a weird thing. This also goes if you're buying services from the river folk. Just know that you're removing some of your warriors from circulation. So you have to be extra careful when doing that. The other kind of thing to think about with coffin makers is because the Eerie loves to battle, loves to initiate battles, uh, they're responsible for a lot of the carnage of the forest. And that feeds whoever crafted coffin makers it feeds them points mm -hmm. they benefit from the eerie being uh too kind of like battle happy so yeah just be be very careful whenever someone crafts coffin makers um resist the urge to put that saboteurs into your decree and just craft it instead <laughs> <laughs> coffin makers is a crazy card it is yeah. i think the, i don't know is it the craziest card in the exiles and partisans deck I mean, it's I know a case can be made for Royal Claim, too, but, like, every time Coffin Makers gets played in TTS because we drag out that huge artifact of a coffin that we put all the bodies into, it's like... Shout out, shout out to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Great. Nebuchadnezzar needs credit for that. Absolutely. Uh, it's just... It's such a game changer, it feels like, for so many factions to lose access to getting their warriors back and 
they just gain passive points. It's one of the few mechanics, as Kyle mentioned, that actually has passive points attached to it beyond the Eerie's uh, standard scoring. And it just interferes with with so many p- players at the table in different ways. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. inconvenient, and, you know, it, you're watching somebody else just score a bunch of points, and <laughs> you're like, I want my meeples back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about setting up and actually playing the game here. All right? <laughs> Now, in traditional setup, and classic setup, we don't choose our starting clearing unless the cats are not in the game. Uh, so we can't do that same map analysis that we did with Kyle's cat video, right? Because a lot of times we're just going to be dealt the cards were dealt and the clearing were dealt. And especially those starting cards can have such a big impact on the first choice of leader and our general strategy. You're really hoping for a bird card in those first three cards. You really need a bird card to make a lot of these uh, kind of higher level strategies work. But I will say, I did one of these strategies, no bird cards, a couple hours ago, and almost won. Okay. (laughs) I was targeted because people recognized me from the podcast. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say. It's the life you live now, Sam. All right. So let's talk about, uh, there's kind of four main openings that I want to touch on. Uh, The first one we're going to call the God of War. All right, and this is the charismatic no turmoil strategy. So yeah, to God of War is maybe one of the strongest uh, openings for the Eerie. Maybe one of the strongest setups for any faction in the game. What you need for God of War is uh, a bird card to put in build, and another card, a suited card to put in move. And the suited card has to match your starting clearing. The nice thing with advanced setup is that the birds will have a little more agency over their starting clearing, which makes God of War setups look out meta. They're coming for you way more frequently than than they're happening now. So you got to kind of luck into a good starting hand to make a God of War setup on the opening uh, happen. Um, But yeah, it's just that. A bird card and a card matching your starting clearing. That's all you need to do. And basically the idea is you start with Charismatic, you're going to be recruiting two birds on turn one, you move five into the a clearing that's kind of towards the middle, set up your first roost, and then use that as your base to basically just harass and pummel the other factions into oblivion while you go on to win the game. <laughs> the goal here is exactly what Kyle said, which is to put more cards into recruit and battle and keep everybody else down while you just, you know, eke out a roost each turn, right? Yes. The goal is is that you're going for a no turmoil type of strategy. That tends to be the strongest kind of snowball uh, with the God of War setup. Um, However, you can definitely transition into commander out of a God of War setup uh, because once you get all of your meeples on the board uh the commander doesn't have good recruit right you start with a move in battle viziers and move in battle um so once you have everybody on the board you can just throw those meeples into crazy attacks for the rest of the game and you know chop through big armies and attack a lot of cardboard it's uh it's i think it's the like a1 kind of eerie strategy in my opinion yeah where the meta is right now i think that god of war is the 
number one suggestion of strategy. Whether you go no turmoil or transition into commander, I think honestly depends more on how the game plays out and mm-hmm. the luck of the draw a yeah. lot of the time too. But one of the biggest pros of this thing is that it's like almost unstoppable. And the reason it's unstoppable is because of that recruit. Uh, the charismatic can recruit a bunch. You want to have, you want to end up with at least two cards in that recruit column. If you go with three, that's like really kind of pushing it. Um, but once you have two cards in the recruit recruit column, you can just go and battle as much as you want. You're going to replace all of those birds. Yeah. And then people who come after you are kind of just helping you out. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that yeah, kind of reminds heard, me of... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of the Woodland Alliance, like attacking their sympathy just charges up their engine. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the God of War build really leans into that that uh, what is it that symmetry between recruit and battle. And uh, obviously, the big con here is that you can get out to a lead and in a position where you will cause the table to three v one. This strategy might be able to handle it. It's that good, but you will cause a lot of heat. And- yeah, you will. Yeah, you're going to be the leader that everybody's staring at pretty quickly, right? Right. Especially Very because good. you have all of your meeples on the board or close to it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Your warriors, not meeples. Uh, the thing with the God of War build is that it's designed to get out of control. And it's also really immediately recognizable. So maybe the one drawback, and, and we'll see if the kind of, you know, meta shifts in this direction the one drawback is uh everyone at the table is going to be pretty incentivized to try and break you down as quickly as possible if you're going for this type of a setup so just be aware that in certain kind of positions it could be risky uh it could make the table turn against you yeah also a little luck dependent uh for those next cards to put in your decree but uh hopefully once you get two card draw per turn you'll be able to mitigate that Let's talk about exploding birds. Now, this is a term I've heard used to describe a couple of Eerie Dynasties openings, but it is the opinion of the Woodland War Machine that exploding <laughs> birds should refer to the charismatic opening where you put two cards in recruit and instantly turmoil on your first turn. What? Right? This strategy, uh, I'm not going to say that it's the best strategy, but I just think that this strategy deserves a name. And I do think that those birds explode more than the double bill birds explode. Um, Because they just instantly pop up out of nowhere, and then the decree is gone. So, for those of you who haven't heard of this, what you're going to need is you're going to need either a bird card and a matching suited card for your starting roost, or two matching suited cards for your starting roost, doesn't matter. Uh, you're going to put them both in recruit. You're going to recruit six birds. Then you can't battle, and you go into turmoil. Okay? <laughs> you lose zero points. I mean, you lose three, but you can only go to zero. You don't have any points to lose. Uh, so you don't feel a punishment of that. And then you start over with Despot, now starting with 12 warriors on the board. Kyle, what's your overall feeling about exploding birds? I think when it's a bit... Do it? It's a little bit of a gimmick. But I do think it's slightly viable if you are going first. Mm. You essentially give up your first turn. Uh, you, in effect, place yourself last in the turn uh. order. In order to start the game with an army that's twice as large. 
That's and an interesting factor I hadn't considered was where you are in the turn order. I love that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that can make it slightly more viable. It also depends on the faction mix in a little in, in some ways as well. But in a large part, I I tend to find exploding birds a little too slow. It does give everyone a turn to react to you and get set up. And in root turn order is very important. And my thought is like, why would you sacrifice going first? You know, you can you can get that passive income from the roost going a whole turn earlier. It could make a big difference. Right. Also, you look like a lunatic. <laughs> Recruit an army to do what with? Nothing. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> like what is going on? I I yeah I I share your feelings on the exploding bird style, but I do want to shout out a couple good things about it, which is basically you're done recruiting for for the next few turns. You don't have to worry about that suited card recruit, which we said was risky. That's great. That's set up for us. Also, we have despot kind of in a later portion of the game, which I love because that despot ability of scoring extra points for cardboard is so good. However. Like Kyle said, it is very slow, and probably the number one thing I think is a drawback to this is what you're going to do is you're going to put two of your three starting cards into the decree, and they had to match, and it, so you probably used a bird card, and then next turn you have two cards to put in the decree, and I hope they work for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very luck-dependent in that exact way. Um, and we didn't mention this during the decree discussion, but you generally want to be putting two cards in the decree as much as possible. Right. And so exploding birds on turn three, um, if you ordinarily would have built the third roost on turn three, you'd be drawing that second card in evening. But with exploding birds on turn three, you're actually just drawing one card. So even beyond the you know two very luck dependent cards on turn two, that turn three is going to be starved as well. So it, it can uh, give you a real bottleneck. For sure. And I've seen exploding birds turn into, uh, you know, two turmoils within the first three turns before <laughs> it can it can be pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about another brutal strategy, which is my favorite Eerie, Dynast- Eerie Dynasty strategy. The double build. This <laughs> is where you start with Despot and you put uh, hopefully a suited matching suited card and move and then a bird card and build giving you two moves and two builds on turn one and you are just going to frantically try to achieve your decree at whatever cost and you will find that a lot of happy accidents happen to you when you're doing it that fast obviously you get to draw two cards on turn one which is great for having future flexibility which you will need because you started at an insane pace um we are also going to run out of roost <laughs> by the end of the third turn. Um, so this could have uh, varying degrees of effect depending on your meta. If people start attacking your roost, then they're just giving you more places to build and keep up your insane engine. Or they can wait it out and basically give you like, what is it? Like 12, 13 points uncontested or something. And then hopefully deal with you in the transition. The thing that I do enjoy about the double build is it's something that I've I've seen Eerie players adopt, uh, which I, I really enjoy, which is you just leave roosts around the map totally undefended. 
instead you're moving your troops to the front lines you're moving them into more active clearings you're using them to their maximum effect to try and like take territory build roosts and you're just totally abandoning you're leaving these roosts behind now on the turn that you turmoil that's a huge liability but in the run-up especially with the double build we can replace them very easily um you're just kind of like racking up the credit card in my <laughs> is kind of how i envision that uh, but yeah, you can just move around, leave those roosts undefended, and and hope to bait players into attacking them. Because, the, yeah, they'll be conflicted, right? Like, if you attack it, then it's just going to be rebuilt uh, for the next turn that you won't turmoil the Eerie. But if you that's leave it alone, an, that's, that's an points. aspect I have never considered. It's like, yeah, go for it because I need to build again. I like that. Yeah, yeah. it's cheeky. It's cheeky. This is yeah. a very cheeky strategy, and you're definitely uh, uh, living on the edge for going double build yeah it's it's crazy you you're drawing a, a lot more cards than you usually would and more than your opponents uh early on and as a result you also have more crafting pieces out than your opponents early on and so you're able to craft cards and if you're able to craft a bunch of crafted improvements then you're just setting yourself up for your next leader which after you do double build if you've done a good job should be commander i would think or if you got a great hand builder um Oh, Kyle, giving me a face. What is that? No, I think the switch here is into charismatic. Um, the way to stop a double build despot is to kill any warriors. Yeah. You will not be recruiting anybody for a while. Like yeah, You got to do it turn two. Yeah. Turn two, you got to put both of those cards into recruit. Mm -hmm. And every card you put into recruit makes you more fragile yeah. in the double build. Because you need moves, you need battles to open up building slots and access places across the map. And my thing with double build is it creates this immediate uh, desperate situation, which is fun. Um, but it does mean that if you lose any birds, uh, they are very hard to replace. And they're very hard to move into position. You know, you got to constantly put them on the front lines so that you can control territory. Uh, so that's that's why I say the big weakness of double build despot is uh, losing birds at all, which is why it, it can be a bit fragile. Yeah, that is definitely the fragility of it. With all these things, we have to keep in mind that quadruple seesaw of priorities. And you're right, with double build, we have weighted the seesaw so hard on build that we're going to have to try to get it with some recruits. We're going to have to add more recruits. And if you're double building, I would not battle. I would not battle for a few turns because you need every last bird you can get. Also, uh, here's something fun. When you're double building against the Woodland Alliance, don't worry about martial law. Let them, let them spread, okay? Either they're going to take out a roost that you can rebuild, or they're just going to have some sympathy there for when you put a couple cards into battle and score double points with the Despot. So that's... That's a fun, you can spread out and they think, oh, I'll infiltrate his thing because he's too spread out. But Despot is so good at dealing with that cardboard. Yeah, that's a hot tip. All right. The last uh, strategy we got to talk, because we're not even going to talk about a builder opening. I'm sorry. We're just not going to. But why? Uh, I just, it, it, all the other abilities are better, right? The disdain for crafting isn't so much of a negative thing that it's going to keep us from winning. So. Yeah. You're right. I think it's kind of self-evident. My question is, is like, I, I haven't heard you ever recommend Builder yet. It feels like, I mean, except for like double build, obviously, or whatever. But like, it's like, it's very situational when you're going to use Builder, it sounds like. 
I honestly, if you don't have the cards in your, if you don't have multiple cards in your hand that you're going to get multiple extra points for, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or something about recruit and move is just like the only thing you could yeah. use right now, then fine. That's yeah, fine. I feel like builder's ability just isn't like you don't yearn for it very much. Right. There's too many other things to focus on, right? Builder is not a great opening, in my opinion. Um, I think the other abilities matter more in the opening. Builder is a good way to close the game. The way you close the game with Builder is you have a T and a coins or whatever, and you have the appropriate roosts. Mm -hmm. You switch into Builder, and then you score like five points on crafting items on your last turn, and that puts you over the edge, right? Yeah. I think it's a good good game-ending you know, choice in my opinion. But it's a game ending choice that's required you to turmoil beforehand to switch to it, right? So then you still have to have enough roosts out on the field to craft those things. Yeah, it's an opportunistic type of type of play. But I, I think in certain concrete situations, it's definitely a good way to close the game. Got it. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think I think you guys have made the clear point that it's not an opener, but it seems like it's only used in the rest of the game situationally. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't like throwing out tools in our tool belt. Builder is a great tool, but yeah, I think you're right, Jake. It's situational. Okay. All right, so let's talk about opening with Commander, which uh, I saw a lot of people say just don't do. But I've experimented with Commander openings, and uh, there's no fun nickname for this. There's no Exploding Birds, Double Build, God of War, because people don't do it enough to have a fun nickname. Um, uh, What I like about Commander... Angry Birds? Angry, angry birds. birds. <laughs> there we go. Kyle, that's the answer. <laughs> when you do the Angry Birds opening, it, it can be good for suppressing factions that need suppressing early on. Uh, cough, cough, the vagabond, um, or hitting like a turtling moles strategy. If you like, see like four or five moles on top of two markets, you're like, that. We got to stop that. So. I, I can see a situation where you're like, no, I'm going to go commander and I'm going to and I'm going to do that. Now, the this is another situation where you've really tilted the seesaw all the way on to battle and you will need it's the same problem as double build where we didn't start inherently with a bird card and recruit. So we're going to have to make that up somehow. We are either going to have to put it there uh, on our turn or we're going to have to really limit our battles. Uh, Kyle, I remember early on with commander openings, you would just move one bird to go do two damage somewhere. And so you're only losing one bird, which is a great way to conserve your uh, resources, right? Losing warriors when you open with a commander is so painful. It's super painful. You think like, oh, I'm about to have this game where I'm so strong and I'm like moving around and battling people and getting my way. And then you realize that you're down to like four birds and you can't recruit anywhere. And it's just a miserable situation. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a very fragile opening. I, I, this is just a theme. Like some of these more extreme, you know, unbalanced type openings, they have real big Achilles heels. Uh, and so, yeah, for Commander, just the same as with Double Build Despot, recruit is the the big weakness. And so playing against it you just target the warriors take out like three warriors and that commander can't do anything <laughs> yeah with this yeah. commander with this uh angry birds opening too it's like you're putting your strategy in the hands of the dice a lot right because so much of it relies on the outcome of those battles is that fair to say kind of uh, yeah i don't i don't know if we're using these battles to really clear things early on for building slots i think we're mainly using it to suppress other people 
So hopefully we are rolling well to just hurt other people. But if we roll zero zero, it's not going to mean we turn well. I know, but like I'm saying, if we take heavy losses, the the yeah. the the con that you mentioned of recruiting, excuse me, the con that you mentioned of recruiting not being enough hurts doubly, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's the one faction where where you like you are desperate to see zeros on the dice, right? Right. <laughs> Rolling a double zero as the commander is actually great. I'm fine yeah. with it. I'm fine with it. Let's move I on. I still do a hit. You know, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, but the goal of all of these openings, whatever whatever method you take, whatever special power you want to lean into here, eventually we're going to turmoil. Or if we're not turmoiling, then this goes double. What we're going to do is we're going to set up our ruse. Get them into position and defend them and hopefully find some balance in the decree, right? So if we're battling some, we need to make sure we're recruiting a little more, right? Finding our balance in the decree, establishing our roosts and defending them. And that's going to take us into the mid game, all right? We're always trying to vigilantly take care of the decree, making sure that the table is not actively planning our demise, all right? So we're trying to sense what to add or when to add that suited card into battle I talked about. Like we wanted to let the game play out a little bit more before we decided I'm going to be attacking a fox clearing every turn or whatever it is. So now at this point, we're looking at those targets. Where's the YA base? Where are the turtling molds? Where's the cat's keep? Maybe if we're going for that. Um, and then we're also eyeing our own turmoil. When can we get out enough warriors? We've built enough roosts in order to put the extra card into build to turmoil ourselves. Because in the mid game, we, we kind of want to turmoil like 60% through the game. Does that feel right, Kyle? We want to hit like just at the two thirds mark and then uh, the, our last leader takes us to the end. Yeah, and you want to make sure that you're turmoiling and not um, dropping too many points. Um, Cause, and, and turmoiling early enough. That's my thing is if you're going to turmoil, make sure you're doing it on your terms. Make sure it's early enough that you can still, you know, build up some momentum for the end game. Is that the priority of early enough is that you're building momentum to have a swing? Like, because if you turmoil too late, quote unquote, in the game, you won't have enough turns to build back up momentum to have a great one. Additionally, exactly. you're trying to do it before you have too many bird guards in your decree, which will hurt your points even more when it happens. Yeah, and it could be the kind of thing, too, where you get that bird card in your hand and then decide, rather than throw it in this decree, I'm actually just going to add a suited card to build, go crazy, turmoil, and then now I've got that bird card in my hand ready to go for my mm. next mm -hmm. uh, leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we are talking about setting up our turmoil, we want to have a bird card in hand ready to place on our next decree. It'd be great if we had two. We can only place one per turn, but it'd be nice to just know, like, if your second leader is birds in all four actions at the beginning, you're going to be set up for a great end game. So, like, Swap Meat is a really good card for the Dynasties. Like, we said it was a pretty good card, but it feels like Swap Meat would be amazing because you could just get those bird cards rolling. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all a little luck dependent, but yeah, it gets you well, an, extra, right. an extra roll of the die, essentially, or an yeah, extra sure. draw of the card, right? That's nice, yeah, for sure. All right. I would say the other thing to look out for in the mid game is to be really attentive to uh, your opponent's weak points. The Eerie has this really remarkable ability to just go in and just really wreck the board presence in one clearing of another faction. And so as the Eerie, you want to be kind of scanning 
and looking for those places. You know, where is there a lightly defended sawmill? Where is there like a bunch of moles stacked on a couple buildings that you can just like go and crush through? You know, um, you, you have the force and you should try to apply it a little bit in the mid game. Uh, I, I think about the, um, a mid game with the area is kind of like you want to bulk up, you want to press outward onto the other faction's space, impinge on their ability to react to you by, you know, knocking down their number of warriors, taking out some tokens. Um, just, yeah, you, you want to be trying to put out those fires. You want to be like trying to kneecap your opponents. Yeah, absolutely. We have the tools to do it. If somebody is going to have to hit the vagabond, that might be us. If somebody's <laughs> going to have to go, you know, knock out the lizard gardens or whatever, it, it usually falls on the birds to take some kind of active action in the game of checking your opponents. The other thing to do in the mid game that I, I don't see people do enough that I'd love to see more of is make good use of those extra move cards. You know, those like extra random cards that you're just throwing into move just because you have them. I, I would love to see people take more advantage of that. And what I mean by that is on a turn where you're just building once, move birds into two clearings and rule two clearings. That way you've got one in your pocket for next turn. Mm. So that if you know, things get a little sticky, like you don't have to spend any movement like getting your guys in position or whatever. You already have that ready to go. Yeah, you so don't this, have to hope for a battle to go right because even if it goes wrong, you have that backup space. Oh, yeah. yeah, and if you rule that clearing at the end of your turn, then no one else can build there unless they really put some effort in. So you, you want to be trying to create these type of situations in the mid-game so that you can stay flexible. So yeah, use those extra moves. It's, it's a really good way to give yourself some insurance. Love it. So the end game? So we've turmoiled. <laughs> uh, most likely. Most likely. Uh, uh, we've turmoiled and hopefully done it ourselves. And we've picked, uh, usually commander is a great closer, or maybe you got a, a situation where builder is going to work. But regardless, in our last few turns, we're going to try and pull off a big swing. We're going to try to swing, try to get like six to eight points on our last turn to try to win the game. Um, three or four from the roosts we've built, usually you'll have, usually it's four. If you've played right, usually you get four points. Maybe it's three from roosts. Hopefully you can craft an item or two for one or two points, and then we're going to be able to hit some cardboard this turn to make up the last two to four points, all right? So hopefully... In our penultimate turn, we end around 22 points, is what I'm thinking. That's striking distance. And even that, you have to have a lot of things go right. You have to have a crafted item or two, and you have to be able to hit cardboard. If everyone's well defended, this number might have to go higher. You might have to be at 24 points before you're within striking distance, right? So keep that in mind that that's what we're going to do, and we're going to want as many actions as possible. Kyle, you've done a great job stressing this the whole time, that after we turmoil, we're, we're going to need to rebuild that action economy fast. So an early turmoil to have those online. But for sure, afterwards, we're going to be wanting to put two cards in there every turn if we can. Because the end game engine, we, we don't have time to, to build it back up. So we're, we're going to need that. And Sam, you've mentioned here that uh, your semifinal game from the Space Cats Peace Turtles tournament in uh, January is a good example of uh, how... Every action really does matter in the end game for the Eerie, and being one card short in your decree can mean the difference between winning and getting to 29 points. 
Absolutely. Like I did. Be like <laughs> me, Mr. 29. On the flip side, I would say be like Lily G, the winner of the Space Cats Beast Turtles tournament with the Eerie Dynasties, ha- had a, a, just a, a really cool, really great final turn. An excellent endgame play. And speaking of Lily G, you can actually see Lily G and Sam, as well as uh, myself and Monique and Naveen from Before You Play, are going to play a game of Root this coming Saturday, April 3rd, on Good Time Society's uh, Twitch channel. We have gameplay there every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, and uh, I've arranged to have some of the Root champions come join us. So I haven't told <laughs> I haven't told Monique and Naveen that you two are like crushing at this game so we'll see how it goes but she specific <laughs> Monique specifically told me that they love root so i'm excited to have them on yeah I've, I've been watching some of the root plays they do on on their channel it's great they play against like the bots and stuff mm-hmm. and so i don't i don't know how like, much experience they have with playing like four player root um but i will say that lily and i have a score to sell yeah that's so... the thing is i feel like i have by putting you both in there that you two are going to be at each other's throats so they can peacefully win in some way or something i love that because lily and i are like some of the more peaceful root players i feel like we're <laughs> some of the most non-aggressive root players so yeah seeing us what lock horns quote unquote yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes <laughs> yeah when two lizard mains <laughs> lock horns uh yeah yeah no in lily's championship game she plays the birds and does this big last point uh swing at the end and it's very impressive uh watch that if you don't want to see someone go one point shy (laughs) all right um so we've uh hopefully we've loaded up this closer uh leader with uh battles and moves in order to accomplish this thing we've scrapped our way to 22 points and we found our way to win but here's just a moment don't get cocky, all right? The birds, something about the birds just brings out the cockiness of somebody because they feel so clever. You're the lords like, of the forest, Sam. Oh. And then they, they, they fail. I've seen uh, our friend Josh, we played a game recently where he got to like 29 points and then just was like, oh, I'll attack Jake for fun. And then something <laughs> happened and then he turmoiled and then he lost the game. And that just can happen. I watched a, a, a playthrough of the winter tournament where I saw the most mixed match score you guys have ever seen. It was like the birds had 26 points and everyone else had like maybe six points. And that birds player did not win that game for a faction interaction. We will talk about in a bit, but just don't <laughs> get cocky. Cross your T's, dot your I's, do the work and you will earn your victory as the Erie dynasty. All right. Yeah. And, and try to try to win accurately. You don't have to win more. Um, right. Some players <laughs> just add unnecessary cards to the decree on that last turn just because they are, you know, in the groove and feeling excited. And uh, you just want to have as many actions as you need. You don't have to you throw extra moves. Cross the finish or... line. You don't need to coast. Yeah, it's great. So you've won as the uh, the Eerie Dynasties. So should we talk about some of the specific faction interactions to be aware of as the Eerie? Yeah. So, uh, cats, we kind of talked about last episode. We like cats just fine. They're everywhere, but we rule in ties, so that's not too much of a problem. Uh, plus, we might need to battle a couple of loner cats to keep our decree alive if we've got a battle-heavy decree. I feel so. like cats are the bird's fuel in a lot of core games, right? <laughs> yeah, we talked about how cats have a lot of faction interaction with the birds. They're like our, you know, they're our anti-cats. And the cats, or the birds just feel fine about the cats like whatever I'll, <laughs> I'll just go through i don't care 
there's nothing in the cat's arsenal that I think specifically targets the birds, other than they're taking up building slots. Kyle, would you tell us a little bit about the interaction between the birds and the Woodland Alliance? Yeah, um, the Woodland Alliance really loves the Eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, the Woodland Alliance is going to be super incentivized, be- mainly because of a quirk of the decree itself, because mm-hmm. move comes before battle. And with an alliance, gains supporters when opponents move warriors into sympathetic clearings. So the Woodland Alliance is going to be gunning for the clearings in and adjacent to your starting roosts, uh, or, or your early roosts, as the Eerie. They just want to capture the movement. As the Eerie expands outward, they need to obviously move around. Uh, and the Woodland Alliance is just going to place like a little firewall of sympathy as best they can right in front of your troops. Um, now it's really easy to battle the sympathy tokens and as the despot cleaning up sympathy is going to be your, you know, your moneymaker, but in order to clean up the sympathy, you have to move into the sympathetic clearing and then battle it. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of a double edged sword. It's almost more symbiotic, honestly. It's like they love each other. I feel like (laughs) if I'm despot, I'm like, I'm happy to move in and battle. You'll get a couple supporters. I get two points. And if I can establish martial law, then I'm making out best in this thing. Now, double build despot might get a little trickier. The Woodland Alliance might have a field day, but you kind of raise both of your stock in the game by interacting with each other. It's true. And it tends to be pretty free for the Eerie as well. Usually you've put both of your cards into the decree. And then when you move into the clearing, like you don't even have a hand early in the game. So you're not giving up anything, you know? You're just allowing the Woodland Alliance to top deck a random supporter. Like, I, I think it's it's a little bit good for both. Yeah, absolutely. So the Vagabond, I said earlier, it's probably going to be have to be your job as the birds to deal with the Vagabond at some point. But apart from them, like, aiding us a bird card, I can't think of any huge interactions here. Even them removing the ruins doesn't open up that many options. Unless, like, the cats have got the other ones and there's not a lot of words. It's just very situational. I I can't imagine. Kyle, can you think of any notable interactions between the Vagabond and the birds? No, it's mostly the Vagabond dancing around where the birds are going to be. Mm-hmm. And opening up ruins uh, in clearings where there's already a roost right. is a good practice. Since you don't uh, concede any um, building territory to the cats. Oh, right. Interesting. Wait, what? If, if, uh, if you open up the ruins, if you explore the ruins in a clearing where there's already a roost, then you've opened up another building slot mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't help the cats. Oh, you mean as opposed to them opening a slot elsewhere where it would help the cats is what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, it does help the cats because it gives them another place to build, but they need to come rule that clearing first before they can do it. So Right. It's probably not and it tends happen. to be pretty tough to go in there once the Eerie's taken okay. over. That, that makes more sense then. So, yeah. It's just a little bit of denial. What about the cultists? Oh, you got to watch out. You got to watch out for the Sanctify. Sanctify. Uh, it <laughs> is really bad news. This is where they convert one of your buildings to a garden. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they rule all clearings with gardens in them, which can make movement rather tricky. Mm-hmm. But it means that those suited recruit cards are really dangerous. Because let's say you rule two fox clearings, and you put a fox card into recruit if somebody can battle one and then arrange something with the river folk to give them the acolytes and outcasts necessary to just pop off that one then great you're turmoiled and that's all taken care of and then you can't even retaliate attack that garden on your turn because you've turmoiled on recruit (laughs) 
Yeah, it can get really stabby between the lizards and the eerie. So you want to watch out. I mean, the, the other thing with that's interesting is that Yuri has an easy time battling. It may be possible to work with the lizards by battling a few random lizards here and there to slow down another faction. Yeah. Uh, a little, an indirect means of, of slowing down the other faction. And because lizards can really make your day a bad day, you can work with them in order to make that someone else's bad day. It's a good interaction to get on top of early on. Uh, River Folk, this one is going to be very situational, as it always is. Um, I already said to keep in mind that we are giving them warriors as payments, and that they could just hold on to those for the rest of the game. So we gotta trust each other, we, got, we can't lose too many warriors off the board. Um, but always keep in mind you can buy their mercenaries for battle and build. Because you can battle with them and you, you rule the clearings with the mercenaries. So this can prevent a turmoil that seems almost certain. I've seen so many tables forget that the yeah. Eerie can just buy mercenaries and work their way out of this great turmoil the table is, has orchestrated. Mercenaries in general kind of feels like a thing that like, oh yeah, we rarely use it. But this is why we rarely use it because it's when it's when it can be used <laughs> it's very <laughs> powerful but we it's so rare that it comes up yeah this feels like a, a real option for them especially with build i never even considered that of like oh well got to build somewhere i'll just buy these <laughs> these have these warriors. otters to it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, it's just sticks? Are you sure? <laughs> That's all you no, want? No, stone. It's stone now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the otters only just built with sticks, too, to be fair. So they're the perfect. Yeah. They just make it out of trade. Construction post. company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, buying a bird card, riverboats, all of it helps the Erie. So the Erie is going to be one of the river folks' best customers. Uh, so usually. I guess like, what's the? Pr <laughs> you don't want to pay a high price though, because as we've noted, like you need to get those warriors back out, and the otters will hang on to them for as long as they can, right? It's like, yeah. it, is it? Yeah, I don't know if there's a number to necessarily say so much as just like knowing what mercenaries are truly worth to not overthrow your decree, right? I would not pay for an additional service until I got my warriors back as the Eerie. Yeah, yeah. Usually yeah. I think players overhype this, especially like cats players or whatever. It's like, whatever, he's going to hold on to your cats. You're not going to need them. Who cares? But the birds, if you run out of those meeples, you will turmoil. Yeah. So it's, it's just another level of consideration for sure. And now we're going to talk about the biggest faction interaction to watch out for as the birds, which is with the crows. All right? And you're thinking, Sam, the crows, Why? what's the deal here? It's because of the snare. The snare is so evil to do. <laughs> I saw a game, oh my gosh, I can't unsee it, where somebody got into a turmoil tailspin because of a snare. Basically, a snare means that a player cannot, an enemy player cannot place pieces in that clearing or move from that clearing, right? So if you snare a suited recruit, that's as good as removing that roost. In fact, it's even more dastardly because then they're going to turmoil. And let's say they did despot as their first one, which I think is the most common opener, right? Then they have to choose between commander, builder, and charismatic. Their only option is commander because if they, if they have one roost and it is snared, they cannot recruit. <laughs> because the snare doesn't allow them to place the units in the clearing as the rules state. Exactly. Right? So 
Two of your three choices are instant turmoils. Okay. On recruit. On recruit. And so that means they're going to choose commander. And in the game I saw, that commander did not last long. And so then it was multiple turns. The, the birds player never took another turn, essentially, because it was just multiple turns of instant turmoiling as they cycle through their leaders to get to another leader that doesn't have a vizier in recruit. So this means when you're playing against them, you're, you think, oh, it's fine. It's just an extortion in my clearing. Wrong. They can flip a snare and then swap it the same turn. Right, because the Corvid have the ability to uh, what's called trick, where they can swip, where they can switch where their conspiracies are. Right. Exactly. So plot tokens. Th- excuse me. The only way to prepare for it is to have no plot tokens in your clearing. Don't even let it happen. It's it. It's worse than turmoiling on recruit because it's turmoiling on recruit two to three times. And just watching your points go down and down and down. It's like you're going in reverse. That is a really brutal situation. Now, it can be prevented by having a roost somewhere else, right? Does this scenario only work where it's the only roost left on the table, right? Yeah, yeah. But... So it is It is a little hard for the stars to align that way, right? Yeah. I, I would say snares are a huge threat. This this nightmare scenario is a little specific, but it's not but it's but it's unstoppable once it happens. Yeah, like you are right. hosed. You can't do anything. Yeah, I understand. Right. Yeah, but so, then yeah. just the snare in general is a huge threat to the eerie. Even if it's not like the perma turmoil type situation, having a snare on the map is similar to a garden because you can't move out of that clearing, and you can't place pieces. So even if you rule it, you couldn't like build a roost there. For for example. So that becomes a dead clearing for the Eerie. And if it's in a, you know, a central location or a choke point, I mean, that that can be, I mean, even if it's not instantly game over, it can limit your options to the point where it's effectively, you know, going to be hard to break out. You're going to have to fight that that plot and win or else turmoil eventually. (laughs) So it's it's definitely a threat to the Eerie to watch out for. We should have ended with that because now we got to go to moles and whatever. They're fine. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, the most notable thing about the no- the moles is that they're not cats. <laughs> I I think like just the space they allow the eerie yeah. allows them to operate pretty unencumbered, and the moles are totally fine with that too. Yeah. So it kind of becomes a weird race, and if you're not super aware of the board states and who's actually in- ahead, then it can just be two players basically playing their own game trying to win. They're kind of a cats that do, you don't get fed, right? Like y- you can't take advantage of the fact that they're everywhere because they're mostly underground or on the other side of the map <laughs> or something. Hard to take advantage for sure. The wisdom in that matchup is essentially is for the eerie player to try and apply some pressure to you know take out those straggling moles to make it hard for them to sway is a really easy way to sort of hem in the moles. Um, later on in the game, you're going to want to try and bust up any clearings with, uh, with buildings, but early in the game, taking out solo moles is a really, really clean way to, uh, sort of limit their options or, or make it challenging, slow them down a little bit without outlaying, you know, seven birds into trying to hack through a big mole yeah. turtle shell. <laughs> all right. Let's quickly touch on some map thoughts. All right. Uh, again, we can't choose where we start unless we can, right? Unless the cats aren't in the board. So uh, corners and stuff, uh, we're, it, it, we care a lot more about the cards in hand than the corners. Let's just talk about some general map thoughts here. Um, 
Autumn map, Kyle, gut feeling. How are the birds on the autumn map? They tend to rock on the autumn map because the suits are distributed in a pretty even way. Even when it's randomized, it's really hard to lock the birds into a certain area on the autumn map. They tend to benefit from the mobility that that offers. Um, My thing with the autumn map is that you will generally have the ability to move to an edge clearing or towards the center on your first turn. And my thought is like, go for the center unless there's something very compelling keeping you out of the center. You want to be as mobile as possible. You want to have as many threats that you can generate as possible. And uh, you do that from taking over the middle. If you play against the bot version of the Eerie, the bot is literally programmed to just run around the three middle clearings. Uh, and I think that's actually good a good thing to learn from. Um, so yeah, try and capture the middle in the autumn clearing, or in yeah. the autumn map. Yeah. Uh, look at the bots for that. Maybe not when they're trying to stop a tur- uh, stop a dominance victory from happening. That's when the bots maybe don't look at me. Uh, uh, all right, winter map. Uh, we're going to watch out for some choke points. We've talked about this. Uh, we're going to talk about this with the lake map too, but movement, as you have heard at this point, is very key for us. So anything with choke points is going to be a little harsh. I would suggest being on the bottom part of this map, away from the the big, long, connected northern clearing uh, situation. You want to be hopefully on two halves of the bottom of the map. That should give you the most options going forward. Yeah, the worst thing to do on the winter map is to get stuck in one half of the board because it can be almost impossible to break out if you let it sit for too long. So yeah, definitely focus on that movement. Get yourself in your opponent's face like onto the other half all right the lake map this i my gut tells me is the worst map for the birds you're gonna want to think oh i can use that fairy but don't you want (laughs) things that are repeatable right with our decree and that fairy can just be taken away you can't plan on the fairy it's great to draw an extra card Use it when you can, but it can't be like a part of the decree, right? Like right. using the fairy. Uh, and there's just a, a a lot of choke points on the lake map that you got to watch out for. My advice is get a foothold. Invade Normandy. Like sail that fairy to the other side of the board and set up a roost as quickly as possible. You want to be on... You, you want to basically like be able to break out of your area. Um, and even if you don't have any like good attacking prospects... Go for it anyway. Just like make sure that you can stay mobile. That's the thing is it's the Eerie suffers on the lake map when it gets trapped in a corner. Uh, so you want to try and, and get out of that corner. All right. And lastly, the mountain map. Um, I feel like we're okay here. We don't have a ton of cards to remove paths, but removing paths is good for us. Uh, if we have the spare card, it's great because that's a point and it opens up new pathways, which we talked about mobility is huge. And we have an advantage on ruling. So ruling the pass is definitely an option for the birds. Um, for sure, if somebody is getting too many points from the pass, it might fall on you to be the person that comes and clears them out of it. Too. I've seen two approaches on the mountain map for the Erie. Approach number one is you take all the clearings that are contiguous with your starting roost, all the ones that are just adjacent, uh, and build kind of like a mesh of connected clearings that are very stable and safe and close to home. Uh, and in that way, sort of benefit from the passive roost scoring as much as possible. The other option is to go super aggressive, take the pass, go for the center immediately, and then try and uh, apply pressure across the board. 
Um, I think they are both about equal, in my opinion. Um, it really just depends on the faction mix and how aggressive your opponents are being. Uh, and if the cats are on the map. If the cats are on the map, take the pass immediately and then try and stop them. <laughs> no questions. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Love it. Uh, well, that's the eerie. Uh, what are our final thoughts on this crazy dynastic Lords of the Forest? Yeah, we get, as long as we are finding our balance and we have good facility over the way the game of Root works, you will find that the Eerie Dynasty is a very successful faction. And above everything, they are fun. And it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they're the best. They're super fun. Go go have a fun game. I mean, like try the wacky openings. That's like the best part about the Eerie is you can, you know, they're they're a little gimmicky, but they sometimes work. And uh, you know, you can really change the shape of the game by uh, by going for something weird. And I think I encourage you to don't let the meta get stale. That's my that's my advice. They're uh, they're also I would say one of the easier ones to learn the intricacies of because the daylight is just like do what you have to do like you don't really have a choice you just have to follow through and then when you fail that's the instant lesson <laughs> and then when you <laughs> succeed you know that's that's the growth right so like either way uh the learning method isn't fully in your control once you just program things then it's just like all right let's see how this plays out so i feel like whether it's like you know where when we talk about the cats it's like man choosing between those three slash four actions is a lot of dynamic choices depending on the board and your turn Whereas with this, it's like, yeah, we have a lot of choices with our card placement and our decree, but like after that, it's like, all right, let's see how it played out. And I love that <laughs> learning method of it too. So next week, we'll be discussing uh, another part of Root that uh, we don't have to look at the rulebook too heavily for. It's like the table talk part of Root, right? Yeah, we've talked a lot about like things that happen on the board. Well, this is what happens above the board. <laughs> mm, yes. This is where deals are made and legends are forged. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that, like, this is probably my favorite part of every game is, you know, the the player interactions. Now, there's so many games that we play, too, that have little player interaction. But this one, this one definitely does. There's so much negotiation. And it's also this crazy game where in the last 10 minutes of it, everybody's working together to not work together, right? <laughs> Working together for themselves. Uh, it takes friendship to create future enemies in Root. <laughs> I love it, and I appreciate both of you. Uh, before we head out today, any thanks you want to give? Yeah, absolutely. We got some thank yous for all the contributors here this week. Uh, again, you can contribute to the show on the Woodland War Machine channel on the Good Time Society Discord. Please join us there. We're playing games all the time. We're always having a great root conversation. I want to give a special thanks to Marcus the Cat, Garrick S., Justin K., Germ Curry, Nebuchadnezzar, Fuglis, Just Ten, Fancy Zling, Aquaman Boss, Crewmeister, and Preston. Preston? He recognized you, uh, Kyle. I played with him on Root Digital, and this is the guy that was like, hey, right before he won, he goes, tell Kyle I won with the <laughs> sawmills in Cancun, and then he won the game. Look awesome. Kyle in the eyes when you tell him this story, <laughs> and report back to me with the pain you saw. 
<laughs> no, Prestane is a great player. Um, all, all these guys are great players. I'm curious if Fancy Zling, I feel like used to be named Fancy Zergling or something like that. Oh, mm. Fancy Zling. So it might Zeeling. be Fancy Zling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Fancy Starcraft Zeeling. reference. Uh, yeah, and thank you to everybody who's just been listening. We appreciate all of you, and uh, come join the conversation. Say hi. We we uh, we love to play games of Root, and we'll be happy to play some with you sometime as well. Um, anything else before we head out, gents? Uh, give us Root. five stars. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You can go on to iTunes to give us a five-star rating. Every little bit counts. And uh, thank you for all the kind words and reviews that we've got, gotten so far. It's always, uh, always fun to know that our show is reaching people, and uh, love talking about... Root. 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 Root.